Go Loud presents the Lennon Courtney podcast. Welcome to the Lennon Courtney Archive podcast collection. Enjoy this blast from the past. I bought him the most expensive keyring in the world. You did I? buy him the most expensive keyring in the world. You wouldn't buy it for no way. What, what was, was it? it? Kenzo. Kenzo was eighty pounds sterling. Was Ridiculous. it? So I got more ever than he did, to be honest. <laughs> I'll get some I've, there, There's one one There's somebody who'll bring me for haircuts <laughs> Remember that key ring sonny Okay uncle needs you <laughs> I'm Sonia Lennon And I'm Brendan Courtney And you're listening to the Lennon Courtney podcast This week it's the Thinking Woman's Guide to Stupid Fashion In this episode we pull back the curtain on the million dollar fashion industry Discussing everything from haute couture to fast fashion Did you say haute couture or haute couture, Brendan? That's my line, Sonia. Stop stealing my lines. Sorry. Well, the fashion industry is full of copycats. We also look at how the internet has changed the industry and, of course, share our personal experiences of being in the fashion business, darlings. It's a timeless episode that will take you from day (laughs) to night. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Just throw a belt on it and you're done. Welcome to the Len and Courtney podcast, The Thinking Woman's Guide to Stupid Fashion. I'm I'm not going to go into detail about my week. Uh, because it was Detroit to use a fashion term. Oh. What's that mean? Too much. Oh yeah. Oh Detroit. Oh she's bringing it. Detroit. I have Detroit in the back of my couch. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got Sortro. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on fire. Oh, God stop. <laughs> Let's like, just stop. It's like handball alley in here. <laughs> I wonder should we go pure comedy instead? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I think it's safe to say we all have sort of full and. Um, Flexing lives outside of our public persona. It's worth commenting, and I think it's evergreen post-COVID, and you said it the other day. We did a master's degree, and we were looking back. We thought we'd have time when we finished. That time was is now consumed again. How, like, how do you fit stuff in? And I think everybody listening to this podcast who runs their life and, you know, is not retired will go, yeah, how, how do I get stuff done? And the vacuum that was created, the empty space that we had with COVID... It filled instantly. But also, I think because we were writing our thesis and, and I, like I was sitting at my table writing for five, six hours in flow, like kind of borderline delighted with myself, enjoying it, but going hammer and tongs to do that. And I really genuinely thought that large gaping vistas would appear in my, I mean. in my week and, yeah. and they just haven't. In my whole week. <laughs> Here we go. Sorry. So we're here. Talk about stupid fashion. Mr. Courtney, because you started this conversation. So please so, introduce us so to it. I'm going to go with this fearlessly. And I can go with this fearlessly because I have a very established, as you have, broadcasting career as a fashion journalist and stylist, a TV stylist, really, as opposed to fashion stylist. And, um, and, a, and a very successful, established global women's wear label. So I feel confident to talk about this yeah. because I, I report from the front lines and I was on the front lines and I was in the front lines. So it comes from seeing Kanye and some gobby and what's her name? Julia Fox. Julia, Julia Fox. Fox. She actually looked great in, you know, all denim and then he had a balaclava on and it's a pure attention grabbing, headline grabbing. I get it. But what I couldn't get over was regular media, is there such a thing? It's obsession with Kanye. I was like, why are people interested in that guy? Like, I think what he has done for black visibility is incredible. What he has done for black power in terms of his industry is, is incredible. So I'm not taking that away. But in terms of how it matches with fashion, the whole thing was a bit of an exercise in stupid. It just looks stupid. And and therefore, we decided to do an episode called... Stupid Fashion. 
But can I just interlude there for a second? Interlude? Yeah, I don't know where that word came from, actually. I was out of my body there for a second as an interlude. Um, In 2020, sales for uh, Kanye West's Yeezy line reached $1.7 billion. Dollars. So he is doing it, <laughs> but so, he was at he was at other people's shows. Oh, he was. He was. Mm. He was working Paris Fashion Week yeah. with Julia on his arm, and they've since split up. By the way. Oh, okay. Um, it, was, it was a magical five. Weeks. It was a magical five weeks, <laughs> and I have to say, I, I have to read this out. This is Julia's uh, Instagram post following uh, a the lot split. of spec, spe- oh, speculation that she would be a broken woman after splitting with him, and she said, "Jesus Christ, what do you think I am? Twelve years old? I haven't cried since 1997." <laughs> I just thought you gotta love her. Yeah, you gotta yeah, love her. Yeah. Now, see, it's kind of like I always think fashion is like watching an episode of Blind Date or the success of the Spice Girls. You you doff your hat to the success of it. Even Blind Date, you think fair play for doing it. But the armchair psychologist judges it, right? And we're all a bit like that. So the Spice Girls, I was like, what is this? Why fair play, fair play? But what? Why do people care? And so sometimes with fashion, I feel often the success of it, like Kanye, I go fair play, fair play. But I also the armchair psychologist in me goes judges it a little and thinks about it and considers it. So fashion is a great one for being exclusive but then running at things like Kanye when they want the, the notoriety, they want the association with them, right? So things like, I always remember one that really stood out for me was Karl Lagerfeld um, wouldn't let, what's his name? The blogger. Uh, I know who you're talking about. Brian yeah, Boy? Brian yes. Boy. Wouldn't let Brian Boy into any fashion shows and then he became really powerful and then he was front row. And there was a real moment in Chanel where they allowed influencers in. So I see the world evolve. But I suppose I often find myself explaining how George people are explaining how it works. So people say, well, you know, right. So there's only so will we just explain haute couture first of all for people. Esther, go for it. So what is haute couture? Haute couture, haute, haute couture uh, is French for high sewing or high dressmaking and refers to the creation of exclusive custom fitted high end fashion design that is constructed by hand from start to finish. But that's not really it, though. Wow. It's a that's bo- the, it's, that's it's a the, body. Right? Yeah. So it's a body. What's it called? The body, the French. The chambre de blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So what you're going to say next is that the, in modern France, in, in France, in France, in modern French, in France, haute couture is protected, a protected name that may not be used by anybody except firms that meet certain well-defined standards. And I'm going to find the, the chambre for you now. And well, I think, I think there, there are only about 50 or 60 international. Oh, There's less. less. Oh, just over 20. So, um, uh, there are there's, they apply and they're selected so you have the Dior's and the Yves Saint Laurent's and all the classic houses and the Chanel's who have so it's quite interesting because it, it's about they, 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 they say it's about tradesmanship and skill and craftsmanship, craftsmanship. Yeah. so they hand make these so let's just call it like very simple they hand make these amazing gowns you have to employ over 50, 25 people I think who are craftsmen like beaders and leather people and blah 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 and then you must sell to X amount but there's only approximately 4,500 customers globally for these, these dresses which average anything from 80 grand to 200 grand right they're that and the level. rest yeah, you're not asking how much but it's going to cost what I understood when I was studying fashion because basically my history was I was doing the clothes show interviewing designers backstage and going I don't know what I'm talking about so I went back and studied uh, art direction and then a bit of fashion but what I discovered and realised much like high-end fashion shows the whole couture was kind of like the top the crown so it was believed that that would influence colour and it would influence mood in, and trickle down but I don't believe it does anymore because it's just so fancy No and I, I, it's funny when you're I'm listening to you and I, in my head I'm kind of separating out haute couture um, which is generally perceived to be a sort of a high art 
of fashion. It's it is that craftsman. So it's it's handmade. It's it's very very labour intensive. And it tends to be very beautiful. So it's a top, top, top tier that sells those dresses to super rich women. But its place in fashion seems to have lost its meaning. But now it seems to have a resurgence again because I tell you where I'm going with this is every time how couture fashion happens, the fashion week happens, I get phone calls to come in and laugh at it. So Victor and Wolf did a fashion show it wasn't they're not Haute Couture House no, though but they did a fashion show in and around the time of the Haute Couture Fashion Week with the raised shoulders and people really noticed it right so what I was I was brought into many a radio booth to discuss the stupidity of it all right and in a way I was a bit like I was a little bit insulted because I had to explain what Haute Couture was where its relevance sits and so I wasn't in the market for slagging them off because actually it's they're over 200 years I think is it 18 something it started it's the mid 19th century yeah mid 19th century so it's like it's nothing but to be respected and if you watch any documentaries about fashion houses you see these women in attics in Paris beading dresses and so you can't deny the incredible skill that goes into making those dresses so often I find myself and this is the gap and suppose this is the stupid fashion bit where I'm sitting explaining that to somebody who just wants to sneer at it how much are the dresses that kind of stuff so that's kind of where I'm coming from and actually sometimes I find when I'm booked to talk about those things or talk about fashion, I actually feel it, this might be in my head, but I feel it's a bit homophobic. How? Because I'm labelled the fashion guy and I feel that it's kind of, so fashion still is seen as stupid and frivolous, even though we know it's a million pound business and um, and it is stupid and frivolous. That's the theatre of it. So you have to be, enjoy laughing at it as well, which we love laughing at it and enjoy the nonsense of it and enjoy the craziness and enjoy the eccentricity of it, which I love as well as laugh at. It's kind of a weird double-edged sword. But I find when I'm booked to talk, when you're booked to talk about it, you're booked to talk about the business of fashion. I'm booked to talk about the funny stuff, the camp stuff. Now, mind you, I have been booked to do the sneering and the the commentary. on Which we don't do anymore, by the way. Uh, no, I just don't do it because I don't think it's relevant to what we do or who we are. Yeah. I, I wonder if it is homophobic. I'm not gaslighting you now, but I, I am wondering because I've certainly been in a situation where I've been asked to talk about the kind of frothy, frivolous bit of fashion and it feels demeaning yeah. regardless of your gender or sexuality or identity. It, just the way it's approached because the person on the other side of the table doesn't think it has any value. That's so it. anything that you say is devalued as a result. Yeah. But I... I that's, a gr- that's it. Spot on. Thank you. Next episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, But I, I, I want to go somewhere because... I, Haute couture is one one bit of stupid fashion and maybe if you wanted to put a label on that it's stupid because it's so elitist yes. and it's so expensive and it's almost like ancient royal court uh, sort of frivolity you know and, and it is it's theatre and all of that kind of stuff but there's another movement of stupid fashion which uh, and, and I was just saying that you know haute couture whatever you can say about it it is intrinsically beautiful in its execution, 100%. in its in its uh, presentation. It, it is in pursuit of beauty. Yeah. If you take then, you mentioned Victor and Ralph, and they are not a hoquetur house, but they are um, kooky artists, the kind of people. Yeah, and and they probably would not exist without Ray Kawakubo from Com de Garçon, who was the sort of godmother of bananas, per, per, performative expansive body altering fashion and that's that's what she did so she dismissed the human form as we knew it and 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 pushed the boundaries 
And I remember selling Comme de Garçons when I was uh, shop girl in it in Firenze uh, 30 years ago and being kind of like a puppy dog looking at it going, this is mad, you know, but it was beautiful at the same time. And it was all kind of boil washed wools and and puffballs where there shouldn't be puffballs. And there is a sort of an intellectual perspective of it that is borderline art and and certainly the women who were wearing Comme de Garçon um, had enough intellectual confidence to appreciate it and it got me thinking about you know Kanye Julia Fox even Kim and, and, and some of the crazy ugly stupid fashion that's out there And it made me start to wonder if the pursuit of beauty has become so banal that actually these peacock celebrities have to chase a new form of ugly to stand out. Mm. You mean came in the blacked out on the Met Ball? Yeah. Which was fabulous. Yeah. Like, that's another thing. Like, I thought Kim with the blacked out, complete blacked out face, hands, black hands everything. I actually really liked it. I yeah. thought if I, if I was her and I was going to that, that's what I'd wear. I thought yeah. someone presented that to you, you go, that's kind of amazing. And conceptually, it's like, you know, I read with Demna, the designer of Balenciaga, he was like, she is so beyond celebrity and so uber famous that you don't even know to see, need to see her face anymore. It's just the oh, shape, the shape of, her body. of her. I, re- I read it as a shadow. I read it as he was making her a shadow and I kind of, so that's not stupid. That's fantastic, right? That's really interesting. And it it, it, it strikes debate and discussion. And, and the Met Gala as well has completely lost its marbles. But my God, what a treat for the eyes, you know, yeah. and the theme. And you look and you go, that's crap, that's good. And it's like, it's. I always say fashion can be a bit like our football. We are judgment of it. We discuss it like a tactic sometimes. And and the whole thing can be a little stupid, especially with the Met Ball. But by God, if they invited me, would I be yeah. there? And they, and they are costume. I remember yeah. looking at it when I was younger and going, these don't make sense. Costume. That's not true, but it's costume and it's a challenge and it's interesting and it kind of it's just pushing your perspective a little way. Obviously, it's extreme luxury and wealth and the one an extreme celebrity, an extreme celebrity. And the funny thing about and, but it, it does go just it, to say, but it, it does, feeds you some. But yeah. it is one of the world's sacred fashion spaces to to allow to, that to allow that. And there was a very interesting commentary I was reading about fas- yeah, uh, fashion sorry, spaces. It gets it gets a lot less judgment. Well, it's a sacred space, right? So you, if, you are, if you make the cut to be invited to the Met, anything you wear, no matter how outrageous, how... The bigger, the better. The bigger, the better. It doesn't matter. It's a safe space. And equally, I think, you know, when we, when we see images of the front row at Fashion Week, that's a safe fashion space, as is, you know, some film portrayals. And, and these are protected spaces. So if you... You have a different lens on that presentation than if you saw that thing walking down the road on somebody's body mm. who you didn't understand or you didn't know. So there are two realities at play mm. and, and we bring two different perspectives to it. So if you saw somebody walking down the street in Kim's Met Gala outfit, <laughs> you know, everybody would be stopping and staring and going, what's going on? You just reminded me once, at Fashion Week... 
there's always very interesting bloggers on the street. And there was, do you remember that on Brick Lane, there was an incredible kind of Princess Julia style Victorian floor length black gown walking down the street. And I ran up to her and said, can I take your photograph? And she said, if you take my photograph, I will hit you. <laughs> but what's interesting... Well, she was saying I was going to plagiarise her and she was yeah. kind of right. <laughs> but what's interesting about Fashion Week is, is <laughs> and we were talking about this the other day, um, so so it's a it's an ecosystem, right? And uh, in today's verace, voracious media world, um, the media and the photographers do not want to miss the next big thing. So it doesn't matter if you're known or unknown. If you look interestingly outrageous, you will be photographed at Fashion mm-hmm. Week. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I remember being in Milan and this guy, I, I mean, he, he he had the the tallest mohawk I've ever seen in my life. And really, that was all he had going for him. Mm-hmm. Like, that was it. Just a, a, a sort of a gravity defying hairdo. And 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 they <laughs> were over. swarming all over him. So actually, on, on that, on Fashion Week, let's explain how Fashion Week works. So, for example, Victor and Rolf did, if you haven't seen it, Google it, it's worth it. They were inspired by Dracula and they did these super high shoulders. And the shoulders were nearly, the shoulders on the outfits were coming just at the, under the ears of the models. And it looked mm-hmm. crazy and ugly. and it wasn't Monstrous. Mon- monstrous. But funny, yeah. As well. And yeah. that, it has a sense of humour. But I was booked by three different media outlets to comment on that. So I ended up going, let me explain how it works. Nobody is going to buy that. Maybe some couple of crazy cookies will buy those Victor and Ralph outfits. That's not what Fashion Week tends to be about. Some of it is, it's for sale. But a lot of it is about making noise and getting press attention and then it trickles down onto the shop floor, some of it. And there'll be a shoulder pad next to There'll be a shoulder pad, but yeah. there'll also be sunglasses, mm. lipstick. Perfume. P- perfume. So what it is, it's about, cre- that's what. That's why Alexander McQueen and, and John Galliano were the best at what they did because these businessmen saw these theatrical style designers who could create incredible worlds on a fashion Elevated show. sacred spaces. Elevated, massive shows that everybody wanted to be at. And so all the press, so everything that went onto the shop floor sold out because they were making this, a lot of what they designed never hit the shop floor. And in fact, you know, there's lots of designers so, who, who, who create, even at a lower level, who McQueen's, create fashion shows that McQueen, never hit the, the shop floor. McQueen's graduation show was called Highland Rape, wasn't it? Or was it the second one? One of them, anyway. One or the other, yeah. Imagine the press picking up on that in whenever it was, 1997 or something. Highland rape, I mean... When Julia Fox last cried. It's Julia, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it was so outrageous to even use the word rape in terms of fashion. And they came down with their clothes bedraggled and blood. And the press loved it because it was noisy. And he was criticised but loved but criticised. His sales went through the roof because he got all this press. So now Alexander McQueen still, even all this time after his death, Mm. is a really valuable label for younger people tend to really get into it, right? So he created all that noise. So how it works is you do a really noisy fashion show but when you come down to it, when you're at our level, we everything we put on a fashion show is for sale. Yes, we're, we're interesting. It's selling. But when you go and show a fashion week, which we have shown a fashion week when we were independent, um, you're really showing the buyers what they could have. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of the orders are placed before the week, but actually what we discovered and it's true. Some people tell me that in fashion show in fashion week, buyers come. They're still up the, up the front along with the celebrities, and they'll have placed their order for autumn winter where they're looking at the collection and they'll see it move. And they might double their order or they might really like it. So it's a very important part of selling, but it's really about publicity and that's what it's about. Hmm. Does everybody understand? <laughs> yes, good job, Brandon. Yeah, good job. <laughs> but yeah, go on. No, just I'm, I'm thinking about this, uh, the, the monster piece, the Victor and Ralph and um, the, the essayist Charlie Fox has a lovely piece. We'll link it in the show, show notes. Mm-hmm. And he says that um, the rise of the concept of ugly fashion um, and sort of this monstrous thing is fear 
assuming a form. So a monster is fear assuming a form. And he says that the sort of complete social maelstrom that we've been going through has created um, a backlash against the classics, basically. And, you know, if you think about classic, classic clothes, the the definition of a classic piece of clothing is something that has been proven historically to work, right? So if you have a blazer, a little black dress, dress, a pair of loafers, whatever it is, history has said it's okay because it's been around a long time, okay? (laughs) So, So that means that by extension, classics are safe and accessible. And that's the opposite of what our peacock celebrities want to portray. I heard a great line. It was I give it, I must give credit was Ryan Tuberty post pandemic, and he was talking to oh what's her name, but this incredible woman that runs a homeless shelter nearby, and he said he had heard a great line about the world right now, and that the world, the population of the world are the walking wounded, and I thought of Michael Jackson's Thriller. I thought of the zombies coming, like walking wounded, monstrous. That's kind of all tying in, and fashion is really influenced by that. Absolutely. Now we're going very esoteric here now, aren't we? But that's, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a game of two halves, you know, to use a little sporting analogy there. <laughs> but I think always, if you go back through history, um, there there have always been monstrous fashion items that have popped up over time. Like I I, I was looking at some of them. One is called a a. a, a Blee out. Now I'd never, I'd never put a name on this, but it was a the bleed out. Blee out. Oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it was those medieval dresses with the really, really long sleeves that hit the ground. Do you? Yeah. It was like an yeah. empire yeah. line. Gorgeous. But but actually, that was a um, a statement of social status because you didn't have to wash anything. Well, you couldn't move your arms. Yeah. So everybody had to do things for you. Nice. So I'm it, getting that. <laughs> My favourite one was a Krakow. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure you are when you hear what it what is. is it? It's a shoe. Um, 50% of the length of the shoe is extraneous to the length of the foot. So it's 50% longer than the foot. And it's a curled up toe. Oh, yeah. And it's held in place with a string that attaches just below the knee. Right? Now this was very popular. In the 1500s. I can, visual, I can visualise yeah, that. They, yeah, tights. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're called the Krakows from, mm-hmm. from, from the city of the same name. Yeah. Uh, they didn't stick around too long. But my favourite was um, Alexandra, uh, the Princess of Wales in the 19th century, uh, was a very, very popular fashion icon. Um, she unfortunately uh, had very poor health and developed a limp. Um, so became fashion. <laughs> the limp became a fashion. Everybody was limping around with canes because... Uh, the princess. Now that just shows you how stupid fashion is. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing, though, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Now you had so something I wanted to get into this conversation about stupid fashion, and like we're we're having a dinner party conversation the way we like to talk about fashion because again it's our sport we really enjoy it and we like to debate it and and untangle it and really understand it a little bit more because we enjoy it. But I find myself constantly being explaining it to people, right? Because it's still seen as frivolous and light and nonsense and mm. the, the purvey of women and gays, right? So men go, fashion, like they do. Not all men, of course. Sorry, that's a huge generalisation. What was my great word for um, a, a, a stati- uh, anecdotal statistics. Anecdotal. Yeah. Anecdotal yeah. statistics. They've been following us. <laughs> my, my anecdotal statistics are going this one. No, but um, so the frivolity of that is based on some truth in that women prefer shopping for clothes than men. 
right? I'm going somewhere with this. Um, no, not all women, but in our experience, the women that we go shopping has been labelled as a woman's pastime. Well, I think for, for women, shopping is a sport. For men, it's a function. Now these are ge- these are anecdotal generalizations, actually, right? So that you can't say that we're not saying that about everyone. But in our experience, in seven seasons of Off the Rails, nearly six years of dressing women shoulder to shoulder, um, often women would come to us and say, "Oh, see, I love fashion," and we'd say, "No, you don't. You like shopping." And they were like, "Oh, yeah, that's right. I actually get a buzz out of buying something." No, I relate to that, by the way. When I was younger, particularly, I got such a buzz out of buying clothes. I, I mean, it was like I got an endorphin rush. Like from the a, old dopamine. Yeah, it flew into my veins. And there was something in the Irish Independent recently, Leon Hines wrote, "The most satisfied or happiest you'll be in the buying process is between you handing over your card or whatever, <gasps> and then getting the back. And that's the happiest you'll be in the whole endeavor. Process, that's amazing. Yeah. And when you get home, you'll be like, "Oh God, I, I didn't I need those crackouts. Stupid crackouts." Yeah. And and funny enough, that increases when you go to online shopping, because actually, if you think about it, you you hit mm. you hit buy, you put your credit card details in, and then there is have, a little rush, and isn't then there? there's a rush, but then you have an additional rush rush while you're waiting for the delivery because the, there's that sense of anticipation, and that's the period again when the most dopamine is being created in the body before the thing even arrives, and then it completely tails off once you once you receive it, and and that's <laughs> addictive. You know that's addictive. In fact, mm. I knew growing up two shopping addicts who would buy multiple colours of the same thing and hide them in their car and stuff really and they had a real problem with them were in debt from it so that was a, a, a huge issue enforced by societal impressions of what men should do and women should do mm. I think as well but I wanted to talk a little bit about our experience on Off the Rails and I I don't think I've ever said this publicly have I but I remember sort of being really and I'm, I can say it now because of our Masters in Equality Diversity and Inclusion I always struggled with the fact that very often I was telling someone this morning that once I put a woman in two corsets, two pairs of spanks, a bodysuit, and literally sucked her in, stood her on a crate and put her in the a The verb gown, was to hoof. Hoofed her into a hoof. <laughs> and literally took about eight inches off her waist, right? Uh, and she texts me still every... And she knows who she is and she's a dear friend. I love her. But I made her look like Helen Mirren. She looked amazing. She didn't look like her. Now she looked, but she, I did it and I did it in a really good, but I stood her on a crate and she, she loved it. And I remember sort of going, that was such hard work for so her. So just to, just to make it clear, you stood her on a crate <laughs> in, <laughs> a, in a full length dress, yeah. which covered the crate. Of course. Yeah. So yeah she but looked, you didn't. But she looked 10 feet taller. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. This didn't anything. stand her on a crate. But she did. I mean, I, I kind of remembered the image and it was just amazing. And all, and I remember sort of having that epiphany, all the women that we worked with. And I remember finding it really sad. And, and sad for the gender in general just wanted to look younger and thinner that's all they really wanted and I remember saying that to you one day I find this really depressing that the women we work with feel that in order to fit into their lives and not all of them by the way but a lot of the women that I've worked with maybe not you really just wanted to look younger and thinner and take that then as a concept and you're absolutely right and that was the the, the thread and I just find it really depressing it, it is sad yeah. it is sad but then if you take Go back to our peacocks Why because did... you could see in those moments you're beautiful. You could see, see yeah. The, yeah, yeah. He's like you don't need. But also, to... what 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 I learned from changing in gyms over the years is that body shape is not what you see in the magazine. Everybody's bodies are really, really, really different. And you know, I always say this to women when I dress them. Even now, you've only dressed that one body all your life. I dress thousands of bodies and they're all different and there's nothing wrong with yours. Nothing. Your body's great the way it is, and it's you're functioning with it. Like so, I kind of started to realize women are being 
tied up in corsets, p- ploughed into brutal. heels. It's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, it's less brutal now, I think. Oh I, my God, it's so evolved. I, I That's think, why I feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, yeah it's less And, and I think even, I'd love to know uh, some stats around the sales of corsets. control underwear and corsets. I think I'm it's plummeted. Sh- oh, I mean, I think comfort has just become non-negotiable for people now. But if you take take that concept that you just discussed, right, yeah. and then plug that into a, a cohort of peacocks who are young enough, are beautiful enough, are thin enough. So they don't want to look young, beautiful and thin. They already are. And that's what allows them and affords them the opportunity to flout their body and their shape with ugly fashion. Right, yeah. There's emerging markets in Asia and South America where those things that were cool here in the 80s and 90s are huge there. So, yeah. I, you know, shapewear, for example, is probably just arriving into Asia. And you know what I mean? And and the like, tone of voice that you took right there makes me yeah. believe you mean it. Oh, I do mean it. <laughs> Get, who few into them spanks? And we were laughed, you know what? I never told you. This is just a funny sidebar completely. But I forgot, I never told you this story. One of the episodes of Off the Rails, a gorgeous woman who was really petite, like, when, I mean, she was really short. And uh, she, <laughs> I never told you this. I actually what? There's something you never told me? I don't think so. She was waving for the director out her as I was arriving to do her, her makeover. And she was waving, waving, waving at the front window. And I, they didn't realise that she was as short as she was. And she was standing on a table. At the, behind the windowsill and the, the directors had waved harder and she fell out of the first floor window <laughs> oh my god and she landed in a big grassy thing and jumped up and said I'm fine like it was the funniest That's weirdest thing I've hilarious. ever seen in my life um, I never told you that did I no I think we were so scared that she, but she hadn't hurt herself thank god uh, but yeah that no. was the, yeah she fell out the window that's mad that's yeah. stupid fashion yeah. that's stupid fashion and then another time a, a woman collapsed passed out in a, remember in that the changing room we couldn't get into the changing room it's too dangerous hot fashion. you know that hot changing room thing where you're yeah. like oh god I'm sweating and, you were, and we were trying hundreds of clothes we try loads on them do you remember and it was hard remember work actually we, we, we didn't know it really and, and only learned it halfway through we were we had such responsibility on that Huge. show so we would we insisted on casting it because we made sure we could work with people we could help because we weren't psychologists and we knew that. So we often find people just at the start of their evolution. They were coming out of something and they were they had a, an inner strength that you could see. Whereas you have somebody who was going through something, we would mm. say, mm, and we, did, we took a journey with people through aesthetic, but it was really about giving them confidence to move on to the next part of their life. It was really rewarding, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. And I think, you know, as much as we started this um, by saying fashion is frivolous, it is and it isn't. Oh, yeah. It's, it's everything that we are. It's our identity. It's how we present ourselves to the world. It's illegal to walk down the street naked. Yeah, but don't be hanging on to that one either. Because that's just a spit. That's just words and spin. No, but it, it is a form of self-expression. No, it is. It is self-expression. No, 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 I, it is. It is. But I don't think many, as many people as we think use it to express themselves. Most people use it to keep warm. Oh no, <laughs> absolutely. But every, regardless of what you both, <laughs> whatever your motivation is when you're choosing the clothes that you wear, it is telling a story about you. Whether you don't give a shit or not. 100%. So, so what I'm saying is there are outward signifiers to the outside world that unfortunately we've spoken about classification and categorization before. You will be categorised by people in judgment based on how you present yourself. Yeah, I remember seeing Alan. Is it Alan de Botan being interviewed once, and he was talking to her about fashion, and he's like, and she's like, he's like, well, I have no interest in da da da, and she's like, but why are you wearing that cord jacket and trousers every day? Why did you wear a a Nike tracksuit or whatever? And he's like, oh yeah, it hadn't occurred to him that you're making a choice and you're kind of aligning yourself with a particular group with when, a, with a yeah. sort of a philosophical theory yeah. about who you are in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, 
there's 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 a theory that in an in a caste society there are a set of very very defined rules about how you will look in terms of where you sit on the hierarchy in a non-caste society your social position is determined by how you present yourself wow so it really does matter maybe not to you no no i'm not uh, no, i'm not saying you uh, yeah, i mean of course maybe I not to it. the person getting dressed but it it does make a difference in how other people interact with you and the judgments they make about you for good or for bad. So I so you're 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 walking a really fine line in terms of people who are non-fashion people listening to us talking going ugh there they go again right. Um and and fashion does that it indulges itself right. So it's particular fashion journalism goes off into these spirals of description and art and that irritates me. I find that stupid, right? But I think I'm actually not talking about fashion. No, I'm no, talking about everybody. Expression. And I'm talking about even people who have no interest in this discussion or fashion or what it means will still make judgments about who you are and your position in the world based on how you present yourself. Yeah, and that's but that's a different thing to fashion. What, what I'm talking about, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's a that's a psychological observation of the world. And, and I suppose this is more this is more the area of the conversation where we're talking about shopping and the decisions that we make to dress ourselves. The biggest offenders for stupid fashion, in my opinion, are journalists, are fashion journalists. Because I was one and then I went and studied it and I know it's not art. I agree with Andre that it's not art it's just a lot of hard work that um, journalists need to remember we used to have to write feathery words around Mm. things and you're the queen of description a feathery word a feathery word you are and (laughs) it's beautiful and I do like some people are really good at it and I like reading it as well but sometimes you read stuff and you're like oh shut up you're giving us a bad name (laughs) And I think there's a lot of post-rationalisation out there about fashion. You know, it's like stuff gets sent down a runway. And the reality of it is that a journalist or somebody who's going to critique or comment on Fashion Week or trends is required to pull together threads to create an overall narrative. So what happens on one runway has to be pulled together with other runways, like a jigsaw puzzle to say, okay, well, this is this you know, ugly fashion trend or this is this uh, arts and craft trend. And so they create umbrella stories from individual shows that post-rationalise the thinking behind the show in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, because it's an industry and that's all part of it. And at the end of the day, it's just three people sitting in a studio recording things and saying words, talking about fashion on a, <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> so what have we learned? What, what, if we were making our own Len and Courtney merchandise and maybe it's we do. in our future. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, you do. Uh, what would you put in a t-shirt? Organic t-shirt. I haven't cried since 1997. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't stopped. <laughs> it's funny because we kind of meandered around because there's many, the, pro- the problem with calling fashion stupid. But you could also, go in a million different directions. Go in a million but that's okay, we did. Yeah, no, and I like that. But, and also conscious of that there are a lot of people who work very hard in the industry and it is judged as frivolous and frivolous and, and stupid. And, and on the outside, when you sit with a broadcaster who doesn't understand it and is out, oh, look at the state of Victor and Ralph. And you're like, well, no, they're doing that for, for noise and attention. And in their head, they're creating something. And while I, I, it doesn't please me either, but I think it's funny to look at, um, it's annoying to have to dumb it down so quickly. For or dismiss a, it. Or dismiss it. And I feel as a gay man who was a TV stylist and now fashion designer and a TV presenter, that element of my life and a certain section is dismissed. 
And that's kind of what made me think about it. And I, I refuse to now explain it to those people. I'm mm. like, read a book <laughs> or listen to a podcast. This one. <laughs> the Lenny Courtney Podcast is an Exceed Potential production. Esther O'Mordonahu is producer and social media is managed by Julie Gartland with special thanks to D-Ready at Go Loud. Follow at Lenny Courtney on all social media platforms for the latest news and updates. New episodes are released every Thursday. Right.